This is Matt Raymond at the Library of Congress. For the past nine years, book lovers of all ages have gathered in Washington, D.C. to celebrate reading at the Library of Congress's National Book Festival. This year, the library is proud to commemorate a decade of words and wonder at the 10th Annual National Book Festival on September 25, 2010. President and Mrs. Obama are honorary chairs of the event, which provides D.C. locals and visitors from across the country and around the world the opportunity to see and meet their favorite authors, illustrators, poets and characters. The festival, which is free and open to the public, will be held between 3rd and 7th streets on the National Mall from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. rain or shine. It's now my pleasure to welcome the best-selling mem memoirist and novelist, An Chi Min. Uh, she's with us today to talk about her latest book, Pearl of China, which she will speak about when she appears at the National Book Festival. In addition to being an acclaimed author, she has a compelling life story to tell. Born as a citizen of communist China, she was sent to a labor camp at the age of 17. She worked there for three years under extreme conditions, and while doing so, was discovered by government talent scouts and placed as the leading actress in a propaganda film. Unfortunately, as a result of her role in this film, she became labeled a political outcast and suffered constant humili uh, humiliation until her move to America in 1984. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Anchi, as I as I said, you have a very compelling life story to share. Uh, what was it like coming through such hardships in China, and what were some of the challenges you you faced adjusting to a different country and culture? Well, I didn't speak English, and um, I was almost um, I was almost um, I got caught at the custom coming through. I was so afraid because, you know, I was in that room. They put me in the room that where people get deported because, you know, I came to study in the university but um, didn't speak English because I, I applied as an art student because that was my only choice. And then and I begged for a chance to speak, to learn, to, to just beg for a chance to let me learn English for three months and... Uh, if I, I told them if I did, didn't manage to learn English, I'd deport myself. Mm. So that was the language, and also I had no money mm. to make a living here. So I get a chance to um, be a real immigrant and got a chance to start from the bottom and become a... Um, I was just very blessed, and I, I got to do everything. Yes. Um, now, the experience that you had as a young person, how did that change your views of the government and, and the leadership in China? Um, I guess I was, in, uh, we were very ideal. We, we, were, um, we were taught that we were born to serve the people uh, with heart and soul, to save the the. For me, as a youngster, was uh, the goal was to save starving children, especially and children in America. And I came out finding that the people are here not starving, <laughs> poor people. That was the first thing that shocked me was that you know I saw American poor people are. I'm sorry, fat. <laughs> I was mm -hmm. shocked. I expect them to be in rags and a skeleton thing, but um, I can't, uh, and but at the, I. I we were disillusioned during, uh, at the labor camp because we were growing rice and cotton to support 
um, to fight in the Americans in Vietnam, but we, we could hardly set ourselves. So after Mao died in 1976, um, uh, and then two months later, Madame Mao was overthrown, and uh, the regime, regime changed. So Chinese people were ready because we, we knew the system was not working. So I think it really the experience prepared all Chinese to be, we will say, uh, politically mature. For the next ten ten years, China China soared economically, and and, and China it's just that it's the people's will. Mm. And people are ready for the change. Now, as I said, you came to America in 1984, and it wasn't until after then that you uh, became a writer. At what point did you decide that that's what you wanted to do, that you had a story to tell? Well, I couldn't get... Um, I, I was working the restaurants and uh, working construction, um, and, and I tried to get a job as a secretary, but... Um, I couldn't type, and I, my English wasn't good, and so I was taking um, very um, beginning classes in English, and my teacher says, oh, you are such a lousy uh, writer, but, but you have a wonderful stories." So I thought, hmm. So I start to, you know, look for, um, I, 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 I asked the teacher, I said, what, what do you think is a, who's a good writer? And uh, he Turn around and gave me his book. On I read, I read it, and I thought, hmm, I could do that. Mm-hmm. Well, if if he if he gave me Virginia Woolf's book, I probably would have would have had the courage to try. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, on your website, you credit the English language as giving you a means to express yourself. What is the difference? I mean, why is it more difficult in, in Chinese, and why did you find that in English? Because I was um, brainwashed, and, and when I was going through um, my, my, my preschool year, in my years, I was taught to write, I love you, Chairman Mao, before my own name. Oh. So I didn't have the language in, in Chinese to express myself at the time. Which is about 25 years ago in 1984. Um, uh, I didn't have that 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 language that's human. Mm. I had a slogan shouting languages in Chinese. And English to me was a a music that it could it it, it allows me to express personal feelings. So it must have been a, a liberating experience, I guess, to find out that that really wasn't the purpose of the English language. Hmm? Right. Now, I know you've told this story before, but I found it interesting how you actually came to learn English. Uh, Tell me about that, if you would. Well, I I just, um, it's a necessity for me to to stay in America. I I was looking for a job. Um, I got rejected. I I walked around uh, in Chicago, the city of Chicago on Michigan Avenue and everywhere where my legs can carry me. But the first thing, um, when they saw me, they said, do you, you know, I, I, I knocked the door in the Chinese restaurants, and they say, do you, do, you, do you have the experience, and do you speak English? And I, I didn't. So I would very much envy the homeless people, because I thought, you know, they had, not only they had the right to work, and they had the right, uh, they spoke English, but I was determined. So I, 
uh, I was thrilled the first time I in the restaurant and I, I spoke. I said, may I take your order? And the other person, the customer, understood. And I was so very happy. But, you know, when I come down to take orders and I just, I, I couldn't, read the, the, the actually the item on the menu so I, I just asked them to point when they point I remember the number hmm. you know the, the dish number for example um, orange chicken and it's number 8 I just write <laughs> on number 8 and then they say fire rice and, and I look at the number 19 so I would just write the down number and then went to the kitchen and then translate that number into hmm. into Chinese and English you know, now I understand I understand you picked up a lot of English from television as well. Is that correct? Oh yes, from Sesame Street, <laughs> Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, and Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> well, I learned a lot from at least those first two as well. So I guess we have something in common there. Um, your first book, uh, Red Azalea, talks about uh, your own childhood in in China. Was it difficult to go back and revisit some of those memories? Yes. It was very difficult, but that was the uh, only thing that I, I, I knew, and also it was my way of uh, studying English, because I figured if I write it, and then have people come and uh, correct me, so so my English, so it was on my mind just to practice, to learn English just using these stories, and that was the, you know, um, the life I had. It was, yeah, later on it, it gets pretty bad because, you know, I went through the cultural shocks at night because I was alone here without knowing anybody. And it was kind of, I, I knew I had a one-way ticket come here and I couldn't mm. see my p family, my parents, and I couldn't didn't have the money to call them. And so the only thing with me was my memory. Uh, some authors talk about when they write a story that's personal, that it's, kind of a cathartic experience that they're able to work through some of maybe some of the difficult feelings or bad memories that they had. Did you find that as well? Yes. Um, the, the hardest thing I was to, to, um, to write down the truth because, you know, in memoirs, you normally you, you end up yourself end up looking, you know, either the victim or you, you, look, you don't look evil. But I, after I went through the first draft, I found myself it was just a victim. But actually, I participate in the during the Cultural Revolution. And what we people of China, we were waters. We carried the communist boat. So everybody, I feel that you know, I, I was responsible. I mean, although it wasn't, it wasn't up to me. You know, the things that we did that that caused the disaster of the Cultural Revolution. But I still feel I was a part. I should be responsible. So. I rewrote, I rewrote the whole thing and uh, so honestly described my, the part of the things that wasn't that glorious, uh, wasn't that, you know, uh, didn't make me look good. Mm -hmm. That was the, the victory, I, I would think. Your third book, you mentioned uh, Madame Mao earlier. Uh, third book is Becoming Madame Mao, which is a story about the life of Zhang Qing, uh, who, of course, uh, was the wife of uh, Mao Zedong. Um, it's been classified as historical fiction, but I understand that all of the characters in the book actually existed at one time. How much of it was fiction? How much of it was historical? Well, about 95%. It's um, historical. Five percent of it is it's um, 
I wouldn't even say fiction. It was just my my own view. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, it was convenient because after I was denounced as Madame Mouse Trash because she, sh- her talent scout handpicked me to um, uh, while well, I was hoeing weeds in cotton fields, and they picked me to the Shanghai Film Studio to play the uh, the movie. A propaganda movie to portray Madame Mouse's ideal woman, and after Madame Mouse overthrow, I was, um, I was disgraced. So I was put there to sit, to listen to those victims who came out of the jail, to talk about their sufferings. Um, so their stories about why they were punished by Madame Mouse, their personal relationship with Madame Mouse. So as a result, I learned firsthand all these stories, and lots of people. Those people, they died after a few years. So I knew all the stories. So I thought, why, why don't I just use Madame as the, the subject to, to, um, to show all that I knew? How much research did you have to put into that, and, and what was your process? Research, a lot of, I put a lot of research. It's basic, it's, it's a cross-examination, it's investigative, because I just wanted to know what I... I, I knew was correct. The hard, the, so it wasn't difficult because it was like a, from Chinese and, and English and from a, from a Chinese historian's point of view and uh, American and the uh, foreign investigators, uh, historian's point of view, and then just make sure everything is right. The only difficult part was to describe Madame Mao's relationship with her daughter. Because her daughter had to choose um, between going with the dad, who Mao, who today still considered George Washington China, while the mm-hmm. mother was considered responsible for both for all the bad things his dad did, and the mo- mother was hang- uh, the sentenced to death and uh, as people's enemy, and she committed suicide. Today, she still is considered, you know, uh, the, the bad person. And, but the mother shouted on national TV when she was sentenced to death the moment. And she said, she shouted, she says, I am Mao's dog. My husband, my husband asked me, asked me to bite a bit. So that mm-hmm. was a, a, a very accurate portrait, but the daughter-mother relationship I did not know. I kind of imagined it. And so I was very nervous uh, when the book by Madame Mao's personal secretary came out. Describing the relationship, I was leafy, I was opening up the pages. I was hoping, you know, nothing was wrong, <laughs> that that nothing was against what, you know, what I portrayed. And and to my, to my great great fortune, it was almost as, you know, exact the the mirror image of what I described in the book. I was very relieved. What did you hope to accomplish in telling Madame Mao's story? Well, I I wanted to give. Um, my readers, especially American readers, uh, the the portrayal, uh, the, the 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 history of China, because I feel as American citizen that we it's important for us to know where China is going, and and, and so we can't work with that. So in in, in terms of development of Americans' future, so only when we knew where China is coming from, we would know. Where, where China, we will be able to predict where China is going. So I feel that the, that, that by offering uh, books, historical books on China to American 
readers, and especially young readers, that would that would be a con- a part of a contribution, my contribution, to this country, for being um, given the opportunity to to live here and survive, and it was the best gift. And I feel like you know so much was given to me, and, and so much should be expected of me. And uh, when my book became a bestseller, uh, it was very great comfort. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about your newest book, which I mentioned earlier, Pearl of China. It's a story that's based on the life of American novelist Pearl S. Buck, who, of course, won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1934 uh, and lived most of her life, or much of her life, I should say, in China. Uh, Your novel tells the fictional story of a lifelong friendship between her and a Chinese girl named Willow. Uh, What moved you to write this story? Um, I was ordered to denounce Paulus Buck at the um, age of 14. I was in Shanghai Middle School, and I did not know um, Madame Mao was trying, was trying to uh, reject Paul Buck's visit to China. She was supposed to accompany President Nixon in 1972. And in order to come up with a reason to reject Paul Buck, and Madame Mao named her as a uh, uh, cultural imperialist. And so it was a kind of national campaign. So I was, you know, every children uh, in the school was taught to um, denounce Paul Buck. And I, I, I did not, I was not given the opportunity to read the Gurdjieff, her work, which won the Nobel Prize. I was just told to copy the slope newspapers. So uh, I was told that Pearl Buck in her books, she um, she portrayed she insulted Chinese peasants, and um, therefore she insulted China. Therefore, she was China's enemy. That was mm-hmm. all I knew. I did not know that Madame Mao wanted to be standing in between Mao and Nixon, and she would never let Probak um, had that chance. So after I came to America, one day I was in the bookstore in Chicago was giving a reading on Venezuela afterwards a, a, um, a, a person came to me she, she asked me do you know Carlos Buck and uh, um, before I could say anything she says you know it was Carlos Buck who taught me to love Chinese people uh, and, and she gave me a book on, on um, the good earth and I read it mm-hmm. I, I just broke down Mm. You know, I I did not expect that the in in the book was full of so much love for the Chinese people and so much humanity. So it was that moment the book Pro of China was born. The idea was born. Uh, the Good Earth, of course, was the novel that uh, uh, Pearl S. Buck uh, uh, was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature for. Uh, it's also been said that it accurately describes the brutal conditions of peasant life in China. Does it? How, how would you characterize that? Is it kind of a, a balance between the brutality and also um, uh, the, the optimism, I guess, of, of the peasants? Yes, very, very much so. I think she got the core of what Chinese, the character of Chinese peasants. Because I, part of my childhood was spent in um, Nantong, which is uh, in province of Jiangsu, which is the same province of um, where uh, where Probak grew up. She um, she lived in a village called um, Zhenjiang, 
which is about an hour and a half driving distance from where I lived. We both lived in the, by the branch of Yangtze River in front of my grandmother's house. I was born in Shanghai, but every year I went to my grandmother's house and uh, in the river, um, the branch of Yangtze River, where I um, wash my dishes, my clothes, my chamber pot, and where I swim, mm. and I play with the boat people's children. And um, I, I describe you one condition. For example, in Kobach's novel, she uh, described that the Chinese peasants during the raining season, the floor swells, and the water will turn the... Um, floor into liquid mud and that's my floor so I could identify with the story and also my grandmother she had a bound feet and she the story she told me and it was very much like a book. and also in me and, and in my grandmother and you saw that we are you know we are um, there is a um, positive side you know we're not just soaking misery and uh, we always, you know, I think of my, the fact that I survived in America is this positive, sunny side in the mm-hmm. Chinese character Probuck described, you know, the, the peasant character. And, and uh, we love, you know, um, it, so the language Probuck spoke was in, in the novel was really um, a wonderful, colorful, and something that I admire uh, as a wonderful author. She she was just a, a treasure, and I'm so glad that the Americans recognized that. Have you been back to China since uh, you moved to America? Yes, yes. I, uh, as long as my books are not translated <laughs> um, in Chinese, I had a 33 different languages except Chinese. So as long as I don't push to do that, I don't bother the Chinese government, and they let me in and out freely, and I, I had to do that because my father still lives in China. My mother um, passed away, and and um, but this time is different. They actually um, they they liked the government Chinese government uh, reviewed the role of China. They felt that I gave a a positive, well balanced view. And also, I think it's um, also the Chinese new regime, the young mm-hmm. people in the leadership. Now they can see that it, I don't have to, I should not, it, it should not be um, just everything about China in the book has to be 100% positive. It's just not, hum, it's not just human. You you can't tell a humanly, human story and, and with everything. And, you know, the Chinese government is uh, very... Oversensitive, I would say. I would say about you know my portrait of the Cultural Revolution, about my other books. It takes time. I think that you know they are making the first baby steps about accepting Polis, I mean accepting pro of China. Although you know still they didn't not say that they should be, they would welcome a Chinese translation. But uh, at least they reviewed. They give positive review, and that's. Uh, in the Xinhua news, news, and that's Chinese official news. Mm-hmm. So that's a good sign. What kind of feelings did you have going back there? Was it difficult? No, it's not difficult. I step on the Chinese soil. I, I'm Chinese. I, I don't. I stay in the line and buy things, and I got yelled at by the by the you know, the 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 we call chengguan means um, 
highway street patrols. They should go back, and they got yanked by 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 people because it's too crowded. My American-born daughter, on the other hand, she's not used to it. With so much um, so many umbrellas on the street during the reading season, it, it just pokes her faces. And she, as American, you 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 are used to you know keep distance distance when you're walking with others in China because it's just you know we she understood the one child policy because China could not afford to have more population because as is it's it's awful there is no space in the subway even during weekends it's well, like a satin care <laughs> so we, we give the Chinese government big credit uh, run uh, uh, regulating and doing good job and feeding there is you know it, it could be starving people it could be a chaos if mm. you go there you see the condition it, it's very hard to manage mm. Anchi Min uh, thank you so much for taking out the time to talk with me today thanks for having me and uh, of course uh, we look forward to seeing you at the National Book Festival you'll be in the Fiction and Mystery Pavilion that's September 25th 2010 from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. on the National Mall in Washington D.C. as always free and open to the public and it is rain or shine so we hope it's a nice day uh, the book once again Pearl of China Anchi Min um, thank you so much this is Matt Raymond from the Library of Congress thank you for listening <laughs>